We're not quite finished with our hiatus, but we are back for a very special episode of Off-Season Chats. But first, here's what we've been up to. Kiran, want to go first? Thank you, Ami. I'd love to. One of the first projects that I'd like to talk about is a artist-led and community-driven exhibition at the Grounds for Sculpture in New Jersey, and it's called Local Voices, Memories, Stories, and Portraits. And this is an interesting collection of stories told by South Asian voices based in New Jersey, and it was curated by a good friend of mine. Her name is Madhusmita Bora, and she's a Philadelphia-based Hortria dancer, educator, and choreographer. What I loved about the experience was that We were brought into a workshop earlier in February to start thinking about stories on the themes of love, loss, and resilience. So some of us, for example, looked at it through the lens of ability, some of us through age and generational differences, some of us focused on caste, socioeconomic status, education, language, religion, sexual orientation, region of India, etc. So we explored these themes through so many different ways. And I was really surprised at how wonderfully diverse the collection of voices turned out to be, because I thought it was going to be all artists. But it turned out there was just two of us who were performers, and the rest were people that were from unexpected places. For example, I was partnered with a wonderful woman who was based in Parsippany, New Jersey. She's Guyanese, Indo-Caribbean, and she is also a high school teacher. She specializes in teaching English, and we shared our stories to each other, and then we had to retell each other's stories based on what we had heard. And it was a great exercise because I was workshopping a story that focused on loss and shame. I wanted to take a different approach when I was asked to do this project. I've spoken a lot about my journey in dance, and I've spoken a lot about the wonderful experiences, the difficult circumstances I found myself in, but I hadn't really done anything overtly personal. So this was a great experience for me to open myself up and hopefully could lead to something where in my future dance works, I can learn to be more autobiographical. We did the workshop on the coldest day so far that I've experienced throughout the entire winter. And we had an outdoor photo shoot, which was really, really challenging. But it was made a lot more fun because I was paired with a wonderful New York City-based photographer named Gabriela Bosker. The image that we decided to use for the exhibition is actually one that is kind of dancey, but not. And I thought it was really a great candid shot that she got of me. The exhibition itself is going to feature these portraits that are captured, along with an audio of our stories. And for most of us, we also have lent a memento that's associated with our story. So I don't want to give it away, but the exhibition is opening on April 23rd, 2023. And this will be followed with the site-specific performance on June 11th, 2023. And you can find out more information about the exhibition with the link in our podcast notes. The other thing that I also worked on, which is dance related, which I'm really excited about, is that I did a studio recording of the items that I have choreographed so far. I'm slowly getting through my list of items I would love to do a studio recording for, but I started off with mainly new pieces I haven't performed yet. And the main item that I recorded was actually a choreography from 2012, 
which is a Tanavarnam in Darba Ragam and Khandajati Atatalam, Dari Teliyaka, which is an amazing composition, very challenging. And I was able to present it with the recording for the Varnam Salon in New York City in November 2022. It was the first time where I really felt ownership over something that I'd choreographed. To have a studio recording of my choreography with my Naktuvangam was very jarring at first, but then I really embraced the ownership. I'm excited to present some of the other items that I've recorded in Richmond, Virginia in a special performance in June. And the last thing that I would like to share with everybody is that I am planning a wedding for later this year. That's been a long time in the making, and I'm just really excited because it's the next chapter of my life, and I feel like everything that has happened that's been wonderful in my life has always been rooted in love, whether it's for dance or for my partner, Wesley Beeks Jr., who you've heard many, many times in the credits of each episode. With that, I love to turn it to Amea. Amea, what have you been up to? Oh, boy. I should have gone first. <laughs> so we can just talk about the wedding instead. But what I've been up to, the second half of last year and the early part of this year have really been a lot of immense personal change. Around the same time that we were recording off-season chats, I was coming to the slow acceptance that I needed to make a change in my career from the job where I had spent many, many years of my first decade as a professional member of society. And I ended up actually taking a five-week break from work for the first time since I started working. I was really at a crossroads of whether I follow the logical trajectory in terms of growth career-wise and titles and things like that, or do I pick a position that allows me to balance work obligations with the time I want to be spending with my family, with my dance, working on building my arts community, working on this podcast. I chose the latter and it took a lot of soul searching to decide that that was the right decision for me. And I share this specifically to say that sometimes what's right for you as an individual isn't necessarily what looks the best on paper. The other thing that really capped off 2022 for me was presenting a deeply personal solo performance, Rutyarchana. It was an immense pleasure to present a full set of choreographies that were either by my mother, Srimati Sarada Jammi, my guru, or myself. And my mom's choreographies all featured music by my grandfather, Sri Tumuluri Satyagopal. And we were able to bring these to stage with a group of brilliant musicians, vocalist Sri Vignesh Subramanian, murdangist Sri Vijay Ganesh, violinist Dr. Sarita Gomadam. And each of the pieces that I presented hold very specific memories. They each represent specific lessons I had to learn, challenges I had to overcome across the 20 years I've spent in dance. They also are a large part of my family's legacy. It was a massive journey working up to presenting this set of pieces in the weeks since I have been processing all of that, writing about the experience and really making sense of what these pieces mean to me and what I want to do going forward. Looking forward, I am trying to take a more sane pace of life this year and really reset focus on sustainability and think in terms of a marathon and not sprints. 
From a dance perspective, I'm revisiting the Javali I prepared for Nrityarchana, and I'm presenting it specifically at Ideas Abhinaya Salon series. That's going to be on March 4th. If you're in the DC area, please do come. Additionally, I'm working on some new choreographies with my mother within the context of Ranga Pravesam prep for our students. And I love when we work with students for their Ranga Pravesam. It's not something that we do every year, but when we do go through that process, it's a deeply enriching experience, both for me and the students. That's been taking up a large part of my time this year, and I'm excited. I'm also very excited that for the Indian Classical Arts Performance Series, which is a Richmond-based organization for Indian Classical Arts, we are back to a full year of calendar events, and I'm having a lot of fun collaborating and helping organize and curate for this year's slate of events. Of course, in addition to all of this, we are doing the podcast. What I think we both have in common is that we centered a lot of our dance performance on margam, which is to get back to the basics, to go through the grind. I, as a Bharatanatyam dancer, really think that's my bread and butter, the traditional repertoire. That doesn't mean that I don't want to venture into other stories or other themes, but there's something really grounding about going back to what you've learned and how you've learned that allows you to move forward. And I think to that point, when we start with the well-defined and we explore from that jumping off point, we have a broad-based foundation that we're building off of. And that's really where there's a lot of space for exploration without losing the thread of connectivity with the past. I think that was something that I definitely discovered as I was working through the choreographies for my show. And I think that's something that has come through as well in, in our discussions of what you've been doing. Just to start the conversation about what's next for Off the Beat, we're planning a great second season which focuses on solo repertoire. And we have plans right now to release the episode sometime in the later part of 2023. Stay tuned for more details. Details. One thing that would help us in this effort is really your support. Off the Beat is a passion project for us, and we really do need your help so that we can continue to record and release more episodes of the podcast. It costs money to host the podcast, to get good quality editing. Everything that we do right now is largely funded out of our own pockets. It would really help us make this sustainable and make this something that we can grow and reach more people by subscribing on Patreon at patreon.com slash off the beat dance. If financial support isn't in your means at this time, you can also share the podcast with your friends and leave reviews on Apple Podcasts. Together, that's how we can build a new dance future one beat at a time. And while you wait for season two, you can still binge on all episodes of season one of Off the Beat, as well as all episodes of off-season chats. We were thrilled to be invited to participate in our first collaboration with Rasabodhi Arts Foundation. If that name rings a bell, you might be thinking of our very first episode of Off-Season Chats with Rasabodhi's founder, Kirtana Ravi. We spoke to her about her artistic journey and how she started and made Avum sustainable. Avum is India's very first crowdfunded Indian Classical Dance Festival. As part of this year's Avum, we co-hosted a panel discussion with six brilliant classical dancers from around the globe. Our in-depth conversation was recorded on January 30th, and it covers a wide range of topics especially relevant for Indian classical dance in the diaspora. Please note that the panel discussion has been edited for clarity and length, but you can find the link to the full unedited panel discussion on Facebook in our podcast show notes. Let's dive right in.
Namaskaram and a warm welcome to each one of you who have joined us from different parts of the globe. Rasabodhi Arts Foundation is extremely delighted that we are hosting the 8th edition of AVAM 2023 and we have partnered with some wonderful and enterprising dancers, arts entrepreneurs across the globe. So thank you Kiran Rajagopalan and Amaya King for coming on board to do this round table. Thank you so much, Kirtana. We're so excited to be here. You know, as part of Off the Beat Dance Podcast, we look to have engaging conversations about building a new dance future. And that can be, you know, looking at many different things, whether it's coming from a repertoire perspective, but also coming from what does the dance community look like? We're so excited to partner with Rasabodhi to have this roundtable discussion, focusing on what it takes to curate and build sustainable dance communities and what we're looking forward to in the future. So thank you so much, Kirtana, for having us. And uh, let's dive in. First question. It's a basic question, but it will illuminate a lot of for the listeners and for the viewers of the Zoom and the podcast, respectively, a bit about each of our panelists. Please tell us about yourself. Hello, everybody. My name is Ashuni Sundaram. I'm an independent dance artist based in Vancouver, BC. I'm trained in Bharatanatyam and some ballet and contact improvisation. I'm currently training with a contemporary dance company called EDAM in Vancouver. I'm also currently choreographing two projects, one that's called Art of Time, an ensemble production commissioned by BC Arts Council, and a second called Home, a duet commissioned by Can Asian Dance in Toronto and Tangent in Montreal. I also do a lot of freelance work. I've recently worked with Nova Dance and Vancouver Opera. Thank you so much, Ashwini. Let us go to Shruti Mohan. I am Shruti Mohan. I am based out of Austin, Texas. I've been here for 20 years. I am trained in Bharatanatyam and Mohini Atam. And somewhere in 2015, I figured out that there was a need for focused curation when it comes to classical dance in the city of Austin. And that's how Tatumasi was born. And since then, we've been focusing mainly on community building exercises. I do host and present touring Indian classical dances here in Austin. But I also do something called the Dancers Retreat, where we offer masterclasses. This has been a great experience because it is through this platform that I got to meet everyone on this panel, firstly. Tatumasi is about community, and it's mainly something that we've grown off social media. So... My favorite hashtag is the Tatwamasi tribe. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Shruti. I'd love to now move on to Kripa Ayer. Hi, everyone. I'm Kripa. I'm an Odissi dancer, a student of Guru Devi Basu, who is a senior disciple of Guru Keluchan Mahapatra. I'm originally from Mumbai, where I trained up until I moved to the US to do my master's. I was there for four years, danced, performed there, and then moved to the UK now about 19 years ago. And I've been here dancing, teaching, and also curating lately. And I run a small arts nonprofit here in London, where I'm based, along with uh, Nilambari called Madhurya. And our biggest initiative called Climarts, we launched last year. And we've got lots of exciting things planned under that umbrella. Again, what we are sort of quite keen on working closely with our local community here. Excellent. Thank you so much. Nilambari, we'd love to hear from you now. Hello, everyone. I am Nilambari. 
born and raised in mumbai i'm an odissi practitioner also trained under the same lineage uh, guru kelu charan mahapatra's lineage and i'm based in london now my background is also in healthcare i was very keen on combining my two worlds of healthcare and dance so overall well-being and as a founder of madhurya as kripa explained while we were focusing on performing arts and dance uh, that deep desire to do something more with it always remained which is what led me to do a lot of research in the space of arts and climate change and hence climates which we launched last year and you will hear more about it as part of evam the online version so i don't want to say too much thank you nilambari let us move on to nadi hi everyone uh, my name is nadi takek i am based in northern california near san francisco i'm a dancer choreographer freelancer i direct a company called nova dance theater which creates works inspired by lived experiences a lot of experiences from the diaspora and it's been my little baby since 2012 <laughs> a lot of the work we do not only involves creating and producing our own work but also finding touch points in the community for us to come together similar to what all of you all are doing sort of galvanizing the community that already exists but giving them meeting places to to discuss to reflect either online or in person and one of the things we've also done in the last couple of years was we created the unrehearsed virtual artist residency program which is everything i've got a chance to do through my work as the director of nova the residencies that i've been a part of and found so beneficial to my process and just development as an artist but we're so excited to bring the second edition where we're inviting artists from all over the world to be in community together to talk about their process and really decenter the idea of a product or performance and really focus on what it is to develop a piece to develop a point of view and really make sure that we have representation from different art forms different backgrounds different countries and it's something that we don't really get in California just because of the nature of immigration and and all who gets in quotes to come and it's been really one of the best things i've done ever so i'm excited to share more about that with all of you and i'm really honored to be here among all of you amazing amazing people so thanks for inviting me Thank you for sharing. Last but certainly not least, Rajita Bharathan. Hello everyone. My name is Rajita. I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a Bharatanatyam dancer, also a teacher. I teach my son and his friends. I'm also a physical therapist. My story is a little different. I started as a mom and as an independent artist. I wanted to start performing and I realized that from where I am there is a huge community of dancers here but everybody is on their own and unless you're associated with a school you really don't get an opportunity to be a part of the community. After a few years I thought why not I be the change? why not i start bringing dancers like me together so i started volunteering maybe one or two hours every week with different schools helping them out with their events and i realized that there were so many opportunities but they there was no way to communicate to different people so i took up to social media and i started advertising about the events and how individual artists can participate you know perform that's what i I do in the community 
And I also try to teach little kids where I am. It all started because my son wanted to learn dance. Male dancers are very few. And then to be born and raised here outside of India, for him to show that interest was amazing for me as a dancer, a mother. So I started teaching him. He brought a couple of his friends because he said, mom, I want to have a group. So now I give them the opportunity to dance and present small pieces in their school as Indians to show their culture. So that's what I've been doing. Nothing as great as all you amazing people are doing, but this is my little, little, little part that I'm doing for the community, a community building process. And I feel like as artists, we must support other artists who are trying to do something towards arts in a bigger picture. That was beautiful because everybody has a role to play in community building and nobody's role is too small. Actually, everybody shared sort of tidbits of what the conversation we hope to have in the subsequent sections when we actually start to tease out the details about what does community look like for us dancers? What does sustainability look like? And how do we play a part in all of that? As Kiran is saying, I think all of us are kind of building community, whether it's very geographically local or collaborating globally, as we're doing today. And so with that, I'd like to shift to the first section, which is really to talk about the communities and spaces for dance here in the diaspora and what it takes to sustain a dance practice and also to nurture a community. Based on where you're located, what is your dance community like? And was there something already there that you were able to join? Or is it something that you've had to kind of create as you go? We'll start with Ashwini. I'm very lucky to be located within a, a place and community that really invests and nurtures art and artistic research, just sort of like having the backing of Canada Council and BC Arts Council, and also just like local organizations like the Dance Center has really supported me. For me, I come from a really integrated community of dance practitioners, just wanting to invest in looking at cross-cultural research. For me, there is an existing space. I'm truly, really lucky to have this kind of resource. Thank you so much. Shruti, would you like to go next? 20 years ago, when I first came into Austin, things were very different from what it is right now. I still remember I was pregnant with my daughter. The first dance show that I got to see was an all-female member Kathakali troupe that was touring around the U.S. And that was the last time I got to see Kathakali. So that's how less of dance, Indian classical dance, to be precise, the number of shows that we get here in Austin. There are two very well-established organizations here in Austin, and they do bring fantastic work in, but it's predominantly classical music more than dance. And of course, this is Texas. There is a good, healthy Indian population here, however, not as large as what you'd see in Houston or Dallas. Of course, things are changing now in Austin. A lot of young families are moving in and interest levels are changing. There is a lot more awareness around Indian classical dance and it's all good. So going back to your question, there indeed was an existing space. I did not really have to create it. The space was very small. All that I had to do was essentially focus on creating opportunities for those that existed for local practitioners. I do work with the local temple here. And so through that, I was able to create performance opportunities, if you want to call it that. I look at it as a way for different members from different aspects of the diaspora coming in together to share, say, a Kuchipudi performance alongside a Bharatnatyam performance, because these 
these were spaces that that were not necessarily integrated like you would just see bharatnatyam alone or odissi alone i'm just focused on making sure that people who are practicing continue to do that by providing opportunities thank you so much kripa would you like to go next I guess we're lucky to be in London where the largest ethnic minority group is South Asian. So in that sense when I moved 1920 years ago now of course there was you know awareness and there was sort of a vibrant uh, South Asian arts culture as they call it it's rather than Indian it's it's more South Asian. What was you know really amazing for me as an artist was this exposure to you know multiple art forms from around the world which we are very lucky to have here in London so that really sort of widened my knowledge and exposure to other art forms of course an indian arts you know classical dances or had a presence here so it used to be quite dominated by bharatanatyam and kathak back then really established renowned artists coming in you know for performances but i think the nice thing that i've observed over the years is sort of other art forms as well blossoming odissi kuchipudi they've all grown there are more dancers you know we now have a nice big odissi community back then i think i was one of three or four dancers sort of even in a big city like london so i think that's been the positive and of course and also we're getting to see you know more artists younger artists coming here and performing because still nothing compared to india but still i think it, it's sort of really blossoming the art scene here in terms of creating a space my focus person my interest is more about curating and collaborating so i do a limited amount of teaching i do run my odissi classes in fact nilambri and i are both part of a forum of odissi teachers and we are now working towards a accredited syllabus for uk odissi students just like they have for bharatanatyam and kathakya already so yeah exciting days ahead That's very exciting especially the idea of kind of standardizing and and getting accreditation. I know there's similar movements happening here in the US as well for various art forms and I think that's definitely going to bring interesting changes going forward in the next 10 20 years. Nilambari? I mean I'll just add to what Kripa said. The question talks of dance community. So that brings me to a more fundamental point, what is the community? Being not in India makes you think of the dance community very differently. because you are looking for opportunities to collaborate you're looking for how you can learn from other dance forms that are not indian a ballet of flamenco because there are transferable skills and that is one thing that we have found and in fact we had a phase when we were working predominantly with schools of contemporary dance and ballet trying to exchange and transfer skills no matter what style of dance or art it is so long as it is of a certain quality high quality that's what you would like to work with so a high quality african drums versus you know a not so good mridangam player right i mean i'm just being very candid about this but coming back to the point of community it makes you think of the dance community very differently and you become a part of a very different community from home a home being india of course and london of course being very very multicultural it gives you a lot of those opportunities and people are fairly open and curious about indian dance forms contextually because uh, the question also talks about location we are in london but we are also in uk so london is very different from the other parts of the united kingdom and so if you want to really embed yourself in the community you have to think of it two different ways one for audiences in the community in london how do you reach have a wider reach in the country and as far as the space is concerned i think you're always um, and uh, kripa touched upon this as well that 
Bharatanatyam and Kathak are more popular, more known. And so you're always trying to create a space for uh, Odissi, whether it's through collaborations, through workshops. And we like to work in the workshop format quite a bit because I think in this fast-paced world, people are more receptive to the workshop format rather than do regular classes. So we found that to work. We are working with different angles to build the space for Odyssey and also make it be seen from different lenses by different people. That's wonderful. And, and I think that's a very salient point. If you're in a center space, you have the opportunity to kind of effect change in a larger sphere as well, but that requires different perspectives and different set of tools. Nadi? So the Bay Area is like full of Indian dance. Community was here before I even got here, before I was born. (laughs) I learned dance my entire career learning in the Bay Area. I think just because of who came when, a lot of the schools were pretty insular and the teachers would, would collaborate with each other even across different dance forms. But the communities really stayed in their own spaces. And so when I moved away for college and grad school and came back to the Bay Area, it wasn't easy to find spaces where people from different dance backgrounds in different schools could meet together and sort of create and and even just chat, really. And so that was my motivation for starting Nava Dance Theater with two of my good friends. I mean, we were young and naive and thought we could do it and we wanted to make work together. So it was, it was very simple. We didn't have too much foresight, but it was really, really a lot of fun. And what I realized is that a lot of people were kind of looking for spaces. They loved their teachers. They were not looking for new teachers. They wanted to look for spaces where they can sort of be in community with other dancers and, and be a part of work and the building of work. And so that's where we came in to the space. Since I came from a graduate school background and writing grants was my thing, that's just how I decided to support this company. But one of the things that really sort of changed the trajectory for me and how I thought about my work is how could I serve the art form? And I practice Varadhanatyam. And over the years, that's really changed because there are many people serving the art form, actually. Now, being in the diaspora, I really have changed the question to how can this art form serve the community? And I think that has been my focus. I really believe that in turn does serve the art form ultimately. But given the sort of history of Varadhanatyam, the classism, racism, casteism that exists in the art form, whether consciously or unconsciously, I realize that it is in a sort of tricky position. And how do we address all those issues? And if we're centering Bharatanatyam all the time, like we have to be conscious of what that brings. So, So that's sort of my take. And this is, again, specific to my area and specific to the Bay Area. But it is really about how the work I make the the communities I bring together, the communities that I'm a part of is how we can serve where we live. Thank you. That's beautiful. How can this art form serve the community? I think that's definitely a question we should all be asking ourselves as we move forward. Rajita? Where I live in Phoenix, Arizona, there was a dance community, but it was more dance schools that was well-established. The dance teachers would collaborate. There was nothing that individual dancers were doing. There were pockets of dancers that would meet, but I think they moved on. So when I came here, I used to feel lost just dancing on my own, practicing what I know. I thought it would be nice if you could meet like a few dancers, collaborate and do things like that. So I didn't know many people. My approach was let me volunteer for different organizations, get to know dancers. There was a dance community, but they were mostly not talking with each other. So my part 
in this whole process is to try to bring dancers like me, who are not dance teachers per se, don't have big dance schools, but who'd love to dance, who'd love to collaborate. That is what I've been doing. That's my focus to because that's where I was. I didn't create anything. There are other dancers too who are trying to bring things like what we have in the Bay Area, like Vernam Salon and things like that. So that's good. And now, at least since the last five years, I've noticed that dancers are trying to curate events. Individual artists like us can come together. It's not just Bharatanatyam, but other dance forms too. Yeah, there was a community, but it's more like they're all trying to come together thanks to the pandemic. Some good things have happened. Social media was out there. People got to know each other through social media. And now that everything's open, we're all meeting, trying to create spaces for people who are individual artists. Thank you so much, Rajita. We had another question for this section, but all of you answered it already in your own way. And I'm just going to officially ask the question, how has that space evolved, especially in light of the rise of social media and the ongoing pandemic? But if there's anything else that you wanted to add, and feel free to jump in. So we'll just take a few responses and then move on to the next section because of time. Sorry, I just want to add one thing about the pandemic. This is Nilambari. Because most of us have trained in India and have gone through that rigor, we know the importance of also watching maestros perform and what you can really take in from that. To make good art, you need to watch good art, right? So one thing that the pandemic has helped do for all of us and more so for children is that it has been a great equalizer in terms of what is available to consume online. And I think that's a big upside because, you know, you can watch Alarmel Waliakka perform, you can watch somebody who's, you know, doing the Arangetram perform. So it really helps to watch. And even though you're not watching live and that sort of in-person experience is missing. I think that is a great upside of the pandemic. Excellent. Thank you. We actually touched upon this in one of our podcast episodes where the social media and virtual live performance arena has democratized space. So this is a key point that you had made about how space has evolved. One last comment about this section before we move on. Anybody else would like to share? I'd like to add just like what Nilambari was talking about Not only did we get to watch the greats perform, we also got to watch some greats rehearse, like Vijayani Ji would put her practice videos. So that was amazing. For me, as someone who has always been interested as as an onlooker, I saw the pandemic as an opportunity of growth, social media as a space that unified everyone. We were collaborating more digitally We were thinking differently when you were creating digital offerings. So I think there was a growth in the mindset over there. And also, I feel dissent is important as part of society. And I feel that when dancers were forced into a lockdown and isolation, they, in fact, protested silently by coming out and, you know, putting up performances in their living room spaces. And which for me, as someone who watches society, I felt this was very important. Dissent does not always mean loud voices. You know, most of the time you can very effectively protest silently. And I saw a lot of dancers do that. So that for me is a sign of healthy society. 
Excellent. Thank you so much, Shruti. So we're going to move on to the next section. Now that we've talked about what dance communities look like in the diaspora and what spaces look like, how do we sustain such spaces? Who are the audiences you reach or aiming to reach through your work in the diaspora? And how does that influence your curation and presentation? It's basically a fancy way of saying, how do you make dance relevant in quotation marks? I can share some thoughts over here. So when I am curating a show, I'm often looking at not just the artists, but also the work that they're bringing. I'm looking for people who are what I consider thought leaders in their spaces. They are people who are playing with their form. They are experimenting by pushing boundaries. And I think this is important for the diaspora and the audience to engage with Especially, you know, when you're thinking about honing and shaping the next generation of Rasikas, it is important that we cater not just to uh, the uncles and aunts who like to watch Indian classical dance or any sort of cultural offerings, but also the next generation. We're talking about the children of today. What excites them? What's relevant to them? How do you shape their minds using the art? So this is something that I keep at the back of my head when I'm curating a show. Excellent. Thank you. So we have a curatorial perspective. For those of you who have tended to focus on solo performance, have you made any very specific deliberate choices about presentation that are influenced by the audiences you encounter when you present your work? We haven't heard from Ashwini in a while. Would you like to add something? If I could speak to, I guess, how I present traditional items, it's really just a matter of how you present it in the beginning and and sort of informing your audience and giving them the context in which the piece or the item lives or even a personal relationship with it. For me personally, I, I actually even go into telling, speaking about the rituals that I do even before I begin a dance performance, you know, the namaskaram, like what does it mean to me? And how am I honoring the land and the earth? And how do I bring myself into this uh, state of presence? And I feel like my goal when I, I try to think about what I want to say in, in this part of the presentation is how do I give them access into the work that I'm going to present? So I think that gives the audience an access point into why I'm here and why this work is important. A lot of audiences, especially in the diaspora, and especially now with many of the younger generation of dancers, they are really fascinated by process versus product. Nadi, in terms of your group work that you've been doing, have you made curatorial choices that impact the group choreography that you do for some of your productions based upon the audiences in which you anticipate or know that are going to be spectators of your work? I love this question because my answer is is no. I believe that even as a Rasika, I want to see what, like what Ashnik said, why it's important to you. I sort of really don't care what it is about because if the artist is the entry point, I trust that the artist will bring me there. And so it was actually one of the things in my most recent work that we're still developing called Rogue Gestures, which may have a different name as we continue to develop it, is that this was a story about my family and the community that I'm from of Malayali Christians who came to the US. And I honestly thought it wasn't that relevant because it was about me. And I was really like, don't worry, everyone, I'm just doing this piece over here in this corner. And it was about like women I interviewed in the community and we made different sections of the work inspired by their struggles and and sort of what they've gone through. And it resonated so much with the audience from different backgrounds, like whether they were Indian or Jewish or Japanese or, you know, and I realized I learned it again that the more honesty an artist comes to 
their work with that truth that they're seeking, if that comes through in their work, like that will resonate with folks because we are a part of this community together. And so just like an intimate conversation you would have with other community members, like art provides that dialogue between community members. And as an artist, I don't feel like I have to curate what I present. But as a curator, when I present other artists, then I, I think that there's a responsibility in terms of, I think Shruti, you said something about developing the resikas, like giving them opportunities to learn and grow. We also have developed artists, the ones who we want to be there to create those commissions in 10 years. Like we need to, to support them now and give them opportunities to grow their point of view and work so that in 10 years when we're like, oh, we'd love this point of view from this artist. We'd love to find someone who is creating work inspired by folk dances, actually, not necessarily Bharatanatyam, you know, like we need to make sure they're there and and sort of ready for those opportunities. So how do we bring together artists that will really make the audience have more questions that they want to answer? And that's, that's the exciting part of creation for me. To bring it back to the podcast Off the Beat, again, a running thread has been this tension between how much is over-explaining and over-curating for an audience versus allowing the art to speak for itself. I'd like to move on to the next question. Again, linking back to our off-season chats episode with Kirtana, she had mentioned about how fundraising really started off with crowdfunding for Avum, and it helped her to develop a sustainable practice and a sustainable festival as a result. But it's, of course, evolved from crowdfunding into other ways. The question that I have for everybody is, what funding sources have you accessed or would like to access to support your work? It could be aspirational. What is missing that you would like to see happen? Or what are you doing already? So you can look at it from either lens. So I'd like to actually open it up to either Krupa or Nilambari, because we haven't heard much about the London ecosystem just yet. I'm going to punt that to uh, Krupa. So here it's primarily public grants that fund a lot of the arts projects. We are quite a spoiled bunch or we used to be a spoiled bunch because Arts Council England used to offer different kinds of grants for different kinds of projects quite routinely. Of course, more recently, given the wider economic picture here, it's sort of dried up over the years, but that used to be sort of the biggest source of funds for most artists that still continues to be the big source. Other things we've tried. In fact, Kirtana was an inspiration. And for our launch event, we crowdfunded it. An area that we would like to explore more is probably looking at private philanthropists and corporates who might be patrons of the arts. So that's on our to-do list. We haven't explored it much, but you know, there are a lot of people with a lot of money out there and what better cause than to promote the arts. So what about cultivating donors from the next generation? And crowdfunding has done a lot to do that as well. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. I I'm absolutely agree with you. So true. Nilamri, you want to add something to that? To that point of cultivating the next generation of donors, absolutely. And to actually go back to your point about process versus product, there is interest and inclination to know about process. And there are so many who are using art as a medium for corporate training, leadership and, you know, teamwork and all of that. So there is an exchange already. I don't think we are in an era where people think art is, you know, something for entertainment or warm and fuzzy. It's moved beyond that. I mean, we've evolved. So the next phase is then to integrate it even tighter. And once that happens, the funding should follow logically. Just really quickly, arts education is kind of working similarly with well-being right now because of the pandemic. Because of what's happening in arts education, a lot of corporations are also following suit about the role of the arts in preventing, say, staff burnout, staff well-being. I'm going to now bounce the question to Shruti for Tatvama C. 
So, Kiran, I am mostly privately funded or, to be honest, self-funded. And the reason for that is there is very little to go around here in the great state of Texas where culturally dance is not looked upon as an artistic endeavor. It's more of a sport. There is very little to go around. I do get some support from the city of Austin, but predominantly I am self-funded. You asked me what would be aspirational, what would I love for the future. I was at NKC a couple of weeks ago and there was a wonderful session about patrons and patronage and the importance of building the next generation of patrons, just like what you mentioned, right, Kiran? I think it is important. Crowdfunding does play a big role over there. Yes, indeed. But we are also talking about, for instance, the city of Austin that I live in, where a lot of new people are moving in. It is tech-driven. There are a lot of young families that can be encouraged to put aside let's say, $100 a month for an art organization that they would love and support or towards an artist that they'd like to support. And I think a lot of that should start from grassroots levels, meaning change should start from within families. What I would ideally love to see is uh, mothers like Rajita, for instance, who has instilled a deep love for dance into her son's upbringing, right? So I'm excited about her family because uh, not only is she a supporter of the arts, but it looks like her young boys are going to grow up to be young patrons of the future. So that is what I'd like to see change from a societal level to happen. Thank you so much. So last question for this section, and then we're going to move to our last section, which is about dance future. So that was a great segue. So to wrap up this section, what is one key lesson you have learned as each of you have worked to try to sustainably grow your dance communities in the diaspora? Rajita, we haven't heard from you in a while. Do you have any thoughts about a key lesson that you've learned? So for me, the key lesson was if you want to see something change, you have to start it. It has to start from you. And that's what I'm working towards. For me, you start the change, whatever you want to see. And then you scale it according to what you're able to do. And then it grows as more support comes through and as more people get involved, right? It's nothing is too small. Yeah, and pay forward. So I do something. I'm not expecting anything in return, but you go ahead and help somebody else. So that way you can can bring that change. That's my key takeaway. Excellent. Nadi? I think my key takeaway is this can't be done alone as much as we can really build that into our practice, if, if we're talking about sustainability, then being alone and doing everything by yourself is the quickest way to burn out and leaving it forever. So the more you can sort of build your community or your tribe, I know people use that word here, the more sustainable your practice and your work can be. Let us move on to our final section, which is basically about looking forward. That's a big thematic link between Avum and Off the Beat. It's this idea of building a dance future, one that is more equitable, more inclusive, more diverse. And I'm going to have Amea lead this section, and she'll be asking you a few questions about this. Sure. Thank you, Kiran. I think we sort of started dipping into this first question already, but I'll I'll ask it anyway and see if folks have anything to add. What is the change that you would like to see in your local dance community? And what is the change that you would like to see within the larger Indian classical dance community? And I can start uh, as an example for me, 
I really want to see students of dance who learn, you know, from when they're three, four, five years old up until they're 16, 17, 18, stick with it beyond their college acceptance. And that's been the challenge. And the question I've always asked is looking within my own local community, what is it that makes kids quit? What are the circumstances and factors that make it easy for them to walk away after pouring a decade or more into an art form? And what opportunities, what mindsets And what assumptions do we need to challenge and what spaces do we need to create so that kids feel like they can stick with it? That would be what I want to change, I guess, both in the local community and in the larger dance space. I'd also like to see more effort in terms of education to show how you can make art work professionally. There's a lot of free resources out there that they say, go refer to this, go refer to that. But mentorship is key here at an educational level in terms of what is taught in dance institutions, whether it's in the grassroots basement classroom or in the university setting. There's very little that tells students, for example, how to form a nonprofit organization. How do you get an EIN number? Though there's many resources, people still need that access point of a guide or a mentor to be able to tell them specifically what to do. And I think that's where disconnect between resource and accessibility lies, especially for dancers. Ashwini, I don't think we've heard from you in a minute. Anything you'd like to add? What is the change that you'd like to see? I think we've like sort of touched upon things we want to see change, like adding more patrons, being involved in community building of these artistic spaces. And also, actually, Neelam Bari mentioned something closer to the beginning when she was talking about how we need to see just more people of color try other forms of art, whether it's ballet, flamenco, or contact improvisation, and really focus on those transferable skills. I feel like it's really important to to show up and feel integrated in the community and, you know, and not feel we formed too many separate groups. That's something that I would like to see more of, just more integration, more intermingling, sharing of knowledge is something that I'm looking forward to. There's a lot of knowledge within our communities. There's a lot of expertise within our communities. We don't always have to look externally for expertise because all of us have embodied practice and all of us has something to say. And all of us also have opportunities to be mentored and to mentor as well within the diaspora. So I agree with you about making sure that we're integrated, that we also recognize the greatness of what we've accomplished in the diaspora. It's not an easy feat to create community and space here abroad. It's not even easy in India anymore, especially with so many things coming into India so quickly from all parts of the world, thanks to social media, thanks to globalization. Regardless if this is India versus the diaspora, the hard work of showing up is really key. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Ashwini. Thank you, Kiran. Anybody else like to jump in on this question? What is the change you'd like to see, whether in your local community or in the larger Indian dance community? So a systemic change that I really dream will happen one day is for all families of the diaspora to make it a tradition to go watch a kacheri or an Indian classical dance show. Like how you have families who go and watch the Nutcracker during Christmas. Like, you know, something to look forward to do together, dress up for it, you know, just support the arts from a family ecosystem. That's beautiful. Definitely agree. Yeah, I'd like to add something. Just this morning, I was saying how our uh, lifestyle should include going and watching a festival or an evening of art. It need not be classical. It can be anything. Just taking your kids out to watch a play or taking your kids out to 
you know, experience a music festival. We do take our kids out for dinner and maybe even a movie, but anything with live art, it, it is not done. So I'd really like to change that as a lifestyle. Also, somewhere we need to bring in, an, I mean, at least this is a scene in India, we need to bring in, bring in a newer set of audiences because I'm feeling like it's become like a technical conference. Only the technicians are there, only dancers are there. So we really need to reevaluate who we are targeting, what is the content we are creating and why are we not having regular people come. Like in a music concert, you don't see musicians attending, right? You see regular people going. In a, for a movie, it's not, definitely people are not going from the film industry. So we need to kind of open doors to a newer set of audience. Even if it is a small number, it's fine. can't just be dancers attending. No, thank you, Kirtana. That's very, very true. And I think that's definitely an ongoing conversation that I've certainly had. It's what do we need to do to get more people to come? And I think Nadi also had a thought she wanted to share. I think it's all related. I think we're all kind of dancing around the same same kind of needs and the features that we wish to see. But I would love for especially older students of dance and teachers of dance to really engage in the politics around dance whether it be Indian dance alone or just dance just in the U.S. or, you know, wherever you live and really question things like the word classical and pure and where does that come from? Because I feel like a lot of the answers to these questions are probably a lot of the reasons why people do leave dance and audiences don't come to see performances because we're not really sort of holistically or like as a community systemically addressing these issues that actually make spaces unsafe for folks. And I feel like there is a sort of this movement in this next generation to sort of ask those questions more openly. I think hopefully will lead to spaces, many spaces that feel really inclusive of different art forms, different dancers, different audiences. And But I'd love to see more of that. That's my wish. Yeah, and that's actually a beautiful segue to our last question. Thank you so much, Nadi. And it's what is something that the next generation of dancers is doing that really excites you? Take a moment to marinate that for just a second, because <laughs> part of looking into a dance future, yes, we can be the architects of it, but somebody has to carry it forth with us and beyond us. So, and Rajitha, our- if you don't mind, I'd love to ask you to go first, especially seeing as you're taking on one of the efforts that has a really special place in my heart, which is getting our sons to continue dance. Amir, everything that you said in the previous question is what I wanted to say too, but you'd said everything that I had in my mind. So the question was, how are the next generation? What is something that the next generation of dancers is doing that excites you? What gives you hope? One, they want to create opportunities for themselves and for other artists. I see a lot of them coming up with events or performance opportunities for themselves and for others in the community. So that's really exciting me because now they're not depending on somebody to call them. They're making it a paid performance, which I'm very much for. That excites me. And then for younger generation, like my kids, they want to show off their culture, their dance forms in schools. So that is like a small way they're teaching audiences, young audiences, Indian or non-Indian, who are born and raised here, about our culture. So that really excites me. Nilambari, did you have something to add? So I want to kind of make two points. So when films came into our lives, it's not like live theater, you know, dwindled. In fact, West End grew bigger. So I think dance films are one outcome of the pandemic. They have been prolific. People have been experimenting 
And, you know, because just dancing in your living room or for, you know, Zoom recording obviously is not aesthetically satisfying. And so I think the the dance film culture is one I'm really looking forward to and seeing what is the new content out there. How are people experimenting? I think the other thing is if you look at visual arts or if you go for these immersive experiences in museums, right, they trigger many senses at the same time. It's not just sight, you know, so the visual, the auditory, there are too many things happening. Sometimes you feel at the same time, it's a very different kind of immersion versus if you are thinking about a traditional performance, Indian classical performance on stage, uh, there is an immersion, but it's more personal and it's emotional. It's not physical and geographical. Now, there are people who are, thanks to technology, trying to marry the two. And I think using that and seeing the the product is another thing to look forward to. And obviously, there will be some that won't be very palatable and you'll be like, what is this? I'm not sure I like this. And there will be others that will come up with great final products. So I think, you know, using cutting edge tech, borrowing from visual arts, and then seeing how dance films evolve would be something that I'm very curious and looking forward to, you know, the the young dancers who are more technically sound than, than at least I am. Yeah, it certainly feels like there's an inflection point happening overall within dance. How, you know, first we had the shift to the proscenium stage in the last 100 plus years. And now it feels like we have another inflection point where how we present dance and how it's being experienced is rapidly shifting. And I'm definitely agreed with you. I'm very excited to see where it goes. I think this might be a great time to wrap up the panel discussion. And with that, I also wanted to thank each and every one of our amazing panelists. Thank you so much for being part of this conversation. It was very rich, covered a lot of ground. We had from the family ecosystem all the way up to the organizational ecosystem and beyond that were covered in this conversation. Thank you so much, Kiran, for kind of pulling it all together. It's been a very rich, wonderful discussion and what a wonderful way to spend a Monday. Definitely the way I want to kick off a week. And I just wanted to do a quick plug for the virtual festival. Avum's virtual festival will be taking place on February 3rd, 4th, and 5th, with streaming replay until March 7th. And there's tickets and info on Tickle, and the link to this will also be available on our podcast notes. I'm very excited to watch the virtual festival, and I know that you know we're all going to be watching it eagerly, and I hope we get an opportunity to continue these conversations. Thank you so much, Kirtana, for having us. No, I must uh, thank Kiran and Amaya, perfect hosts for an enriching and valuable conversation. But I think this whole conversation has been so actionable from the start. Thank you for supporting Avam. And please spread the word. And I do hope you'll get your tickets because every ticket sold is a remuneration to the artist and will help us break even for this mammoth-sized festival that we've become this year. <laughs> Today's episode of Off the Beat would not have been possible without the support and encouragement of our amazing listeners and the following people. Rasa Bodhi Arts Foundation and Kirtana Ravi for bringing together this panel as well as our esteemed panelists Ashwini Sundaram, Kripa Ayer, Nadi Tekak, Nilambri Prasad, Rajita Bharatan and Shruti Mohan. We edit podcasts for audio engineering Sangeeta Kaushik for graphic design of our logo, and a very special thanks to Wesley Beeks and Bertel King Jr. Like what you've heard? 
Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Subscribe to the podcast and tell your friends about us so that more people can find this show. You can also join our conversation by following us on social media at at Off the Beat Dance on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or by visiting us at www.offthebeat.dance. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to be heads down for a few weeks as we work on season two, but stay tuned. More coming soon. Off-Season Chats is an Off the Beat production. Bye.